to Red, White, and Confused. I'm your host, Heather Evans. Civics is generally defined as the study of the structure and the institutions of government, and also the ways that citizens can interact with it or their rights within government. If you've been paying attention to politics on television or online, you might be thinking that we have a huge civics knowledge gap in America. From politicians saying things that are just not true about our government, to your friends and your family repeating those claims on social media. The question we're going to talk about on today's show is whether we have a civics education crisis in America. And if we do, well, what can we do about it? I'm joined today by four guests who spend their time researching civics education and engagement. Lauren Bale is the inaugural James L. Miller Professor of Political Science and Special Assistant to the Provost at Randolph-Macon College in Ashland, Virginia. Her scholarly and popular writing focuses on Congress and the courts, and she is both a former American Political Science Association Congressional Fellow and a former fellow at the United States Supreme Court. John Foran is an associate professor at Miami University and chair of the Department of Justice and Community Studies. He is also the executive director of the university's Menard Family Center for Democracy. Catherine Robadek is an assistant professor of political science at Hood College in Frederick, Maryland, where she teaches courses about political theory and the nonprofit sector. Her research ranges from the role of imagination in politics and democratic theory to college student leadership and service learning. Kara Ong Whaley is the Director of Civic Education at the Center for Politics at the University of Virginia. In addition to serving as the Vice Chair of the Civic Engagement Section of the American Political Science Association, Kara is also a Fellow at the American Association of State Colleges and Universities American Democracy Project. At the heart of her research interests is a desire to understand and illuminate how the interactions of political actors and institutions structure public access and participation in policy and decision-making processes. So thanks to all four of you for being on the program today. Thanks for having us, Heather. Thank you. Thank you. Now, I want to start with kind of what, what I just said in the introduction, which is that people are looking around and wondering if we have a civics knowledge problem in the United States. It, it kind of feels that way if you are paying any attention to politics, given what people are saying and claims that they're repeating online. Is there a civics knowledge issue in America right now? And how drastic has it, has it become? Uh, thanks for that question, Heather. I, I think all four of us would say that the answer to the question of whether there's a, a civic knowledge gap um, or, or crisis is yes. Um, you know, we you mentioned at the top of the show uh, politicians who are simply not truthful about what happens in politics and government. Um, and the, the problem with that is, is not simply a problem with a lack of truth. It's a problem with the, the fact that most people are unable to assess what's true and what's false simply because we've allowed uh, our civic education uh, to, to lapse in, in schools. Um, you, you may know that the four of us collaborated on a piece that was published in the Washington Post earlier this summer, 
And as we worked on that, one thing that really struck me is that um, after years of emphasizing the need for STEM education, science, technology, engineering, math education, um, the federal government now spends $54 per pupil on STEM education per year and just five cents on civic education per pupil per year. And not only does that suggest where our government and, and where society has perhaps decided to put an emphasis, but I think we're also seeing the consequences of that lack of um, engagement, that lack of funding for civic education. Um, the statistics are pretty staggering. Many people, most people couldn't name all three branches of American government um, if they were, were asked to do that. People don't know what Congress does versus the executive branch or that power is intended to be shared between them. And so when people don't know basic principles of governance, it's impossible for them to evaluate the claims that politicians make. What do y'all think has led to this? Um, what, what is it that's leading to people not knowing these things? Because I've been tracking this too, right? And I, and I look at things in my own classes and I'll say to students like, this is the percentage of students at one time who could have passed the citizenship test. And here's the percentage of students who can pass it now. What's leading, is it, is, as you mentioned, Lauren, the, the funding that's given to these different programs perhaps is a piece of this, but what, what else might be leading to this? Is, is there something specific that we're like, you know, this is one thing that we see connected to this decline in civic knowledge? Um, I, I would uh, say that, I mean, I, I think Lauren has, has pointed to a, a really essential factor here, which is some of it is just kind of structural as, as sort of the, the, the more general focus on education as a sort of as a preparation for jobs, as a preparation for competing in the workplace and competing, you know, can the United States compete internationally, those sorts of things. Uh, so social studies, history, related fields have gotten de-emphasized, I think, K through 12. I would just add it that some of the same factors have been going on in higher ed as well, um, where, you know, the decline in um, the numbers of schools that require a basic course in history or government, or, you know, becomes maybe part of a broader bucket of just take a social science course of some sort, uh, that kind of thing. Um, it's so I guess I would just supplement or sort of elaborate on on what Lauren said by saying it's it's not just a K through twelve problem it's a K through sixteen problem ultimately. I would also just add, in addition to the structural issues, there's also a question of content and what we teach, and and I think this is an issue again you know P sixteen. Um, you know, I think there have been some studies that show, especially in the K-12 environment, that teachers don't feel supported and that there are many different approaches to what civics education looks like. And so we're not all on the same page <laughs> um, about what we teach, and we're increasingly seeing civics education being politicized. And, and becoming more political, how are we going to teach it? And so that's coming up for question increasingly. And so I think that's actually going to create even more challenges to civics education and civic learning. Um, I also wanna 
sort of distinguish civic education from civic learning and civic understanding. Um, so again, on the content piece, a lot of the approaches have been, you know, banking knowledge, and we're just going to lecture or tell you what the branches of government are, um, without really providing meaningful opportunities to practice skills and to develop the behaviors that we know from research, um, actually lead to meaningful participation in civic and political life. You know, both John and Kara mentioned that um, there are questions about kind of what we teach and and um, content, and increasingly that's by design. Politicians have recognized that they stand to benefit from a lack of uh, civic knowledge among members of the public. Right, they're holding office, having successfully navigated the current uh, climate. And if suddenly people become much more informed, maybe they'd wanna make different choices. And so, you know, one of the things when I work with students and we, we, you know, we're all political scientists, we talk to them about, you know, who stands to benefit from the status quo. And I think it's really important to recognize that trust in government has declined and yet we are so willing to allow the people who are holding office right now to make choices about what future generations are going to be allowed to know. And I think that's really, really problematic from the perspective of ensuring not only that people gain specific knowledge, but also are, are able to um, learn those behaviors that might lead them to participate. Because frankly, for many of our elected officials, increased participation would be dangerous to their ability to stay in office. Um, or at least it would raise a question of how successfully they could navigate that. And so they stand to benefit from uh, a lack of civic knowledge. And it's something I encourage my students to think about, right? If you're concerned about the direction the country is headed, what can you do to become more engaged, to become more informed, um, and not to simply rely on what the people already holding power think that you should be allowed to know? Can I jump in on my expert um, colleagues' comments just in terms of this participation bit, um, in terms of kind of a decline in civic knowledge being linked to kind of wanting to participate and things that we know about, um, especially college-age students kind of um, not wanting to participate specifically in politics, feeling really good about participating sometimes on um, specific social issues and getting together in a group and talking about um, things that matter to them, but then not wanting to take that next step and engage in the political process of advocating or things like that. And so there's uh, also this gap and we, and we can tie it to civic knowledge coming from actually participating in political institutions or civic institutions. And if people don't want to participate and if office holders don't really want them to do that either, as Lauren's suggesting in some cases, um, then there's this other kind of experiential learning um, that's lacking and an efficacy, a political efficacy that, um, that people aren't, and especially maybe college students, as we have a lot of studies on, there's um, a national survey of student, student learner, uh, leaders and the national survey of student engagement um, that kind of talks about um, skills that can come from engagement in this on this level. So I think that's an important thing to think about. How do we get civic knowledge from the classroom, but also from participating in these processes ourselves? 
And John, a few moments ago, you mentioned how, you know, let's talk about higher ed. At my institution, we've been having this conversation about restructuring our liberal arts core and what should go in it and what shouldn't go in it. And then the debate of should there be a requirement, some sort of civics requirement? Because as of right now, we don't have that. Now, how many of you are teaching currently at an institution that does have a civics requirement? Lauren, are you are you at an institution that... <laughs> Yeah, Randolph-Macon just changed this curriculum about a year and a half ago, and we, we well, I want to be really clear, we have a civic life requirement um, for all of our students through our general education coursework. Um, civic life may or may not explicitly be a course about government. Um, it does tend to, to my way of thinking, and of course I have a bias, it's a bit too much what John suggested of kind of like take a general social science course, but um, all of those courses are required to include components where students have to engage in their communities in some way, and they have to include a reflective component. Um, so I'm, I'm comfortable saying we have a civics component, um, certainly a civic engagement component in our general education curriculum, but that's really new. Uh, where I uh, teach, uh, we had an interesting campus-wide discussion of this issue a few years ago, actually, when we were sort of the last time we're currently doing this again, sort of reworking the liberal arts core. But um, the last time we did this several years ago, we discussed explicitly the question of civic knowledge, civic engagement. And ultimately what that produced was a, an experiential learning requirement that then can include civic activities, but it's it's been, and, and it's that, you know, these things tend to then expand in definition over time. So now it's a more general, I, I wouldn't even say it's a, it's a community engagement requirement now. Now it's a sort of go out and do things generally requirement that could have very little to do with civic life. So um, this, and, and I would, my interpretation of what happened where I teach, and I think it is very common in other places too, probably, is that, you know, there's a lot of pushing and pulling when it comes to curricular reform and, and especially at state institutions where um, we need to meet government requirements, that kind of thing. Um, it's very difficult to, to move a whole lot in one direction or another. So I'm at the University of Virginia in Charlottesville now, and um, there is not a requirement as part of the general education program spe that specifically says civic, but the institution broadly is committed um, to democratic engagement and to addressing the issues of democracy. And at the Center for Politics, as well as a couple of other centers at UVA, um, that's where the a lot of the hub of the work um, is happening and working directly with students. Um, I would also say that there, UVA has undergone um, reform within general education um, you know, that allows for students to think about solving pressing issues, which I think is civic <laughs> engagement or the point of civic engagement um, and civic learning. And then I will, so I, I would also say too, that something that is um, been really helpful, I think, to institutions in Virginia is that our state council on higher education in Virginia required assessing civic learning. Um, and, and so I think that has been a really important factor to amplifying and, you know, helping to move forward the work on campuses to reinvigorate um, political learning and uh, civic engagement for democracy. 
And I was just going to um, to say that Hood College uh, uh, is also undergoing kind of a core revision process, civic education, knowledge learning, all of this is coming, coming up. Um, and so one part of the process that I'm interested in is how um, students actually perceive that um, given this kind of um, what, what they're coming into the college experience with in terms of knowledge and in terms of expectations. Um, again, going back to that, do they actually want to, to participate in politics some way? Do they feel that they have that efficacy, that level of efficacy? And, um, and so wanting to get their perspective is something I'm, um, I'm pushing and hope that that will take into consideration there. In, in this context, it's also just worth noting that uh, beyond the level of individual institutions, disciplines sort of more broadly defined are really, and political science I think is quite active in this, this area, really rethinking the role of higher education in a democratic society. And, and the, in some sense, uh, and, and others may disagree with me on this, but what, what I think is happening in political science, and part of that is we now have a civic engagement section um, in political science, for instance, uh, the American Political Science Association. Um, history, there are several sort of movements that are similar in that regard, kind of a rethinking of have we gotten away from our uh, more or less traditional role of preparing people to be good citizens. So I, I, a lot of things are happening at the individual institution level, but a lot of supporting and sort of prompting activities are happening beyond that as well. I, I also think maybe it's important to add two things. Um, you know, one is that institutional, in the higher ed space, institutional curricula typically change very slowly. Or what I should say is they often change very quickly after a very slow lead up to it, right? So, you know, we, I mentioned we just revised our curriculum. That was the first time we had done it in more than 15 years, right? And I think one of the challenges, at least at my institution, but I, I suspect it's true in other places, is that I think there's a, a persistent notion that if students kind of grow up in the United States, they sort of through osmosis <laughs> absorb uh, democratic principles or an understanding of how our government works. Um, and I, I can remember some conversations over the years with colleagues who would say things like, well, you know, everyone takes a high school government course. Right. And, and maybe that was true 30 years ago or 40 years ago. What we know is that that's becoming less true. And we also know that even when students are taking those courses, as Kara mentioned earlier, their teachers may feel cabined by state laws or by oversight from school boards in terms of what content that they can teach. And so, you know, I think the work Katie is doing at, at Hood to try to assess what levels of knowledge are, are students coming in with. I think what we know from our classrooms is that students are coming in much less well prepared, much less well steeped in democratic values and an understanding of how government is at least theoretically supposed to, to function. And so I think sometimes the challenge in higher ed is that it takes us a really long time to catch up to where things stand in, in the moment. Um, the other thing I'd say is, you know, a lot of, of Midwestern institutions um, in states like Kansas or Oklahoma, they have for a long time had requirements that all students in a higher ed setting take a course on American government. So, you know, but and full disclosure, I was a TA for one of those at the University of Oklahoma in graduate school. I'm not necessarily convinced that that requirement is sufficient to provide 
the level of, of information we want students to know. So, so I think it's important to note that even when we change our curricula in higher ed to require those kinds of courses, simply taking one course on American government is not going to overcome a 12-year gap in what a student's able to learn, right? A 15-week course um, meeting for a few hours a week just simply isn't enough. And so I think John's absolutely right that APSA, the American Political Science Association, and other um, academic groups are starting to really grapple with how can we do better? Um, but I think, I, I just wanna be really clear that I don't think simply saying, well, all students should have to take a course um, would be sufficient to overcome the situation that we're in right now. So I want to pause for just a moment because uh, I know if people are driving around and they're tuning in, they're like, oh, wow, she's got four fabulous experts on. Who are these people? Uh, so you've been listening to my conversation with Lauren Bell, John Foran, Catherine Robadek, and also Kara Ongwele about civic education and democracy. So we don't have a ton of time left on the show, but I really want to get to that question that we've all been asked as political scientists, which is the who cares question. So we have declining civic education or we have declining knowledge of civic. We have declining levels of civic knowledge. Why should we care? Who would like to take that question first? Why should we care about declining levels of civic knowledge? Well, I'm happy to start us off. <laughs> um, some recent estimates show that there are that about 60% of rural youth live in what, what might be called um, civic deserts. Um, and 30% of urban and suburban um, Americans also live um, in, in these civic deserts. But civic and you know, having the opportunity for civic learning and political engagement with real meaningful opportunities for participation um, are the skills, um, you know, from an instrumental perspective, if we want to make an instrumental argument, those are the skills that employers are looking for for 21st century jobs. Um, so tied in that is, um, you know, having good, good digital literacy skills, strong communication skills, um, being able to speak up at meetings and to collaborate and work effectively with others, um, both in your community, but also in employment. Um, so there's a real instrumental argument there. Um, and then there's also sort of the moral imperative. I'll, I'll quote Chief Justice John Roberts, who said that civic education, like all education, is a continuing enterprise and conversation. Uh, each generation has an obligation to pass on to the next, not only a fully functioning government that's responsive to the needs of the people, but the tools to understand and improve it. So as we know that we have all of these challenges facing governance, um, we have all of these pressing public problems from climate disruption to racial injustice. Um, you know, we really need to have uh, the tools and opportunities to um, ensure that governance uh, and government are responsive to the needs of not only our generations now, but also of future generations. I, I would second all of that. And I would also say that um, the at, at some level, the the importance of sit, new citizen and sort of generations of citizens learning not only information about how government works, but absorbing democratic values, the, the notions of equality, of social justice, of you know, treating one another decently, those are essential components of, of civic education as well and, and, and are essential and sort of bedrock 
for everything else that we do. If, you know, if what we're, what I would argue we're seeing in some of sort of recent events in, in American politics is, is a decline or sort of the product of a decline in adherence to basic democratic values of civility, of, you know, consideration for others, those sorts of things. And when you start to lose that, then um, all sorts of bad things can happen, I, I guess I would say, in a, in a democracy. So I want to jump in um, on this wonderful, these wonderful answers by Kira and John and on that last word, democracy. So why, why is civic knowledge important in a democracy? It's the people who rule, right? So demos kratia, do most people, can they define democracy? It's the rule or power of the people, right? So do we even learn the definition of democracy um, in school or by osmosis anymore? So all citizens should be leaders to some extent. Um, we have not just rights, but responsibilities as democratic citizens. And so um, that's not just content knowledge, right? Do you understand the definition of democracy, but do you understand your role in it? Um, that you're part of sustaining it and not just enjoying its fruits, because as we've seen um, in recent events, those fruits um, can rot on the vine or be stolen, plucked, uh, pick your metaphor. Um, so, uh, so we see that it's not a given that democracy is a form of government that um, maintains itself, but there is this component of education that allows people to understand what it means and what the role in it is. And if we don't have kind of the experience of it, right? Participating as we've talked about or knowledge in terms of content from the educational system, but also this ethical piece that John's leading us to, the, the critical and creative thinking skills that allow us to ask questions like what is justice? Um, why is freedom good and good for everyone? What is equality? What should it mean? How does it relate to equity? Um, all the questions that you find in our classrooms, <laughs> I know, um, and hopefully throughout the political science discipline and others as well. Um, then I think what's kind of what's the point, right? Um, if we're not looking at all of this through the lens of democracy, because there are other ways um, for people to hold power that are not democratic. And so part of part of this conversation is to understand that democracy is not a given. It implies education. It implies uh, participation to on various levels. And, and so that would be my answer. And I just want to extend Katie's. First of all, I agree with everything my colleagues have said. And so really, I should just be quiet. But I, I want to make one point, which is the, the framers of our constitutional system, it, it wasn't simply you know an implication that people would be educated they were explicit that to maintain our system of government you needed a population that was informed and educated for participation in government right uh, james madison the the you know founder the 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 drafter really of of the virginia plan that that formed the basis of the constitution you know he was absolutely adamant that an educated citizenry was a prerequisite to the democracy um, that, that the founders were um, seeking uh, in the United States. And so I think it's really important to recognize that, you know, it's sort of in response to like this, so what, or who cares question about this. Um, that was a fundamental assumption undergirding our system. And we have over time allowed that to atrophy to where there's a sense of like, oh, it's fine. People just get that information. 
but that's absolutely not what our founders thought would sustain this system, right? And so when Franklin, you know, is it, when Benjamin Franklin is asked what kind of system the, the government will be, and he says that, you know, a democracy, if you can keep it, right? Um, we're at the, if you can keep it stage. And so, you know, alarms and warning bells should be going off that we've allowed the state of education around civics, civic engagement, the responsibilities of citizenship to decline to the extent that they have. Great answers, everyone. I knew you would knock that question out of the park because um, that is the that is the thing that motivates us. Honestly, when we do research or when we talk about these topics, it's like, well, why should someone care about this? Well, we should care about it because democracy is at stake. We have like no time left, which is amazing to me because we've been talking and I had so many more questions to ask all of you, which also means I should have you back on this show. Um, Thank you all for being on the show today. And thank you to everyone for listening. If you missed any piece of this broadcast today, you can catch up again on Spotify, iTunes, Amazon, wherever you get your podcasts. It also comes on on, again, 90.7 WEHC on Thursdays at 6 and Sundays at 1.